Hey, Firecrackers. It's Winnie Wong. I am head podcast producer and publicist at Firecracker Department. I am so, so grateful for such an amazing team, Naomi, me, and Sydney Nielsen for many, many things, especially for taking the care and heart by going back and forth with last week's intro. At the time, we were processing the recent shootings in Atlanta. I think that we're still processing them, but we felt that it was important not to be silent. I know that many people see Asians as a model minority, and I put model minority in air quotes. By being smart, working hard with our heads down, quiet, not complaining much, the list goes on and on. Well, to be quite honest, this diminishes all the struggles of racism that Asians face. I remember when I was a little girl, my mom would speak up and speak the truth, then be told that she's too sensitive and that she didn't understand because it was a joke. Even within my family, she was told that she should be quiet and not cause trouble. I am so glad that she spoke up. I am carrying on what my mom started, and I will not remain silent. Asian racism has always been around, but now has been on the rise, especially after a former president blamed China for the pandemic. When we all know this isn't the case, Asian hate is the virus. Here are some ways you can help. Support local Asian-owned businesses. I'm sure you have a go-to Asian restaurant. When you want to take a break from cooking, give them a call. Order some delicious food. You can also donate, if you're able, to directly support the victims and families of the Atlanta shooting. Go to advancingjustice, all one word, dash atlanta.org. Look for their donate page. The Chinese-Canadian National Council for Social Justice, ccncsj.ca. Butterfly Asian and Migrant Sex Workers in Toronto, Swan, Vancouver, and Red Canary Song in New York City. Also, Amplify Asian Voices and Stories. Speaking of Asian voices and stories, I was invited to be on the Ling podcast by my dear friend, a Filipino disabled blogger and journalist, Marlene Benedicto, for an open discussion to share our stories about all of this. This episode drops April 1st on Apple Podcast. One last thing I'd like to say is I, along with all firecrackers, stand with Asian firecrackers. You are not alone. And as Naomi said, you can reach out to me, Naomi, or the firecracker department. Hey, Firecrackers, it's Naomi, and welcome to the Firecracker Department. I mean, I love you, Winnie Wong. Always have, always will. Ever since the first day when I met you recording the Tamara Pademski interview, and I watched as you tried to quietly sneak across the room to get Kleenexes to dab our tears during Tamara's story. Uh, ever since then, I just adore you. I know that wasn't easy, and I'm so grateful that you did it. So thank you. Thank you for including your voice in this podcast. Okay, everyone. It's March. How you feeling? Spring is here. It is... I don't know about you, but uh, this is an important spring for me. Um, for anybody who doesn't know, my mom died last February and then my father the following December. And so seeing spring arrive has been so healing to pull back the leaves and see crocuses and see the snow melt and the green grass start growing. And it just fills me with uh, 
comfort and hope and um, joy. I mean, there's really nothing I like better. You ask any of the Firecracker Department core members, I just love getting grubby. A lot of our meetings when we have it on Zoom is different degrees of Naomi looking grubby. <laughs> it's really uh, satisfying. How's your spring going? What are you doing to sort of celebrate the new season and the turnover? I don't think that was a hard winter, but um, it's been a hard year. So hashtag firecracker spring. What are you doing to celebrate your spring? I'd love to hear about it. And now, oh boy, I am very excited about this. We've decided as a core team to do some individual firecracker shout outs. So I've put it to the team to say, who do you want to shout out? All right, here is our very first from AJ Edmonds. Gosh, I love me some AJ Edmonds. She's a firecracker of all trades, and here she is giving a firecracker shout out. My name is AJ Edmonds. I am a filmmaker in Toronto and in LA and at the Firecracker Department, I'm one of the video editors and a producer for the After Show. I want to shout out my mom, LJ Edmonds, who joined the Firecracker Department a couple months ago to give us a hand with our rebranding and she's just done a fabulous job and I just want everyone to take a second and love her as much as I do, if that's even possible. If you want to check her out, you can find her on LinkedIn, Lorna Jean Edmonds, or on Instagram at lj.edmonds. That's my firecracker shout out. Thank you, AJ Edmonds. Yes, we love LJ Edmonds. We love all the Edmonds. And we're so, so, so lucky to have LJ on the team helping guide this beautiful firecracker department ship. If you want to do a firecracker shout out, please do. Follow the format and just do a little intro of who you are, who the firecracker is that you want to shout out, a contact for that person so you can tell them where to listen to them, where to watch them, where to follow them, and uh, we'll include it in our show. I'd love to include more firecrackers in the shout outs because, you know, we can't shout out enough. Let's spread some firecracker love. Okay, our guest on the show this week is truly one of the most exciting guests yet. Boy, when we found out we had this person, we were all like, oh, this is going to be awesome. Today, I'm sharing with you my conversation with author, psychotherapist, radio broadcaster, former diplomat, and former Miss World. What? Yes, former Miss World. It's Jennifer Hostin. I so enjoyed my discussion with Jennifer. It was on my birthday, and I really can't think of a better way of celebrating my birthday than sharing some time with Jennifer. She grew up in Grenada's capital city of St. George as the youngest of five. In 1970, while working as an airplane flight attendant, she represented Grenada in the Miss World contest in London, England, and ended up winning the competition. Yes, making her the first woman of color to take the title. Incredible. Meanwhile, it's the 70s, right? So the newly formed women's liberation movement basically disavowed the event, classic. And Jennifer and I talk about how she dealt with that balance as the feminist movement grew. Not an easy thing to do. As Miss World, she traveled, oh my gosh, she traveled the planet from Vietnam to New Zealand, Europe to Africa, the Caribbean and to the US and then all over there again. Outside of her Miss World world, she's worked in radio broadcasting. She went back to school and obtained two, not one, two master's degrees. She served as Grenada's High Commissioner to Canada. She worked as a Canadian diplomat to Bangladesh. She also became a mother, a grandmother, a psychotherapist. Oh, and we're not even done. Get a load of this. 2020, she was played on screen in this film called Misbehavior, starring Kira Knightley, Greg Kinnear, and Gugu Mbatara as Jennifer Hostin. Oh my gosh, her story is incredible. This movie is amazing. I personally wanted more Jennifer. I want to see her story and just her story because I think 
She's just amazing. But the whole film's really well done. She is also one of the most well-spoken, poised, honest, and authentic people I have ever spoken with. And I have to say, gearing up, knowing that um, she's she's a diplomat, so she's a professional speaker. So that always puts me on my toes just a little bit more because I want to, I don't know, I want to meet that kind of skill. I don't know. You know me. I just kind of shoot from the hip. Definitely not as poised as Jennifer Hostin. So it's my birthday. I'm just a little bit intimidated because she's a diplomat. And I have to tell you, one of the most delightful, delightful conversations. She, She's just so down to earth. It made me feel like I was talking to like my aunt or like a family member. Uh, her smile is just incredible, just lights up the whole screen. I mean, I'm smiling just thinking about this conversation. Okay, I can't wait to get started. So I won't, that's what we can do here. Here's my conversation with the one and only Jennifer Hoskins. You haven't slowed down in your 70s. You've almost like stepped into a whole other realm of busyness, it seems like. Well, it's interesting that you say that. I, I think that I don't do that consciously near me. Mm-hmm. It just happens that I, I, you know, I set certain goals and different, and I'm involved in different things. So I find that I keep fairly busy, actually. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, I, that's funny that you should say set certain goals because... Knowing you from the research I've done, I would say you're a very goal-oriented person. I'd love to hear what your childhood was like. Was that how you always were as a little girl in Grenada? Well, I I don't think I always was like that, but I think I've grown up to be somewhat oriented that that way. Mm -hmm. I like to to see things before I actually do them in my mind's eye, you know? Ah. I think back to the time when I became a broadcaster. I could see myself doing oh. broadcasting, you know. Yeah. And what I liked about it was the fact that there weren't there were no cameras then. We're not talking about television, we're talking about radio. So it lent itself to a lot of creativity mm. and imagination, both of which I I think I uh, I've always enjoyed. Yeah, I'd love to talk to you about your imagination. Imagination. Growing up in Grenada, were your parents always people that um, got imaginative life? Not that those two couldn't be blended together. Well, interesting. First, I'll comment on the fact that you pronounce Grenada beautifully. Oh, thank you. So many people tend to say Granada, which of course is a place in Spain. So Grenadians would be very Grenadians would be very proud to hear you say that. Oh, good, thank you. Um, to answer that question, I don't think my parents channeled us in any one direction, Naomi. Hmm. I think they let us be ourselves. But one thing that I do feel that I got from them was a sense of um, being able to do things, whatever it was, hmm. you know, and the support to do it. Yeah. Uh, my mother in particular was like that. She'd always say, if you set your mind to something and you really want to do it, you can work towards it, you know, and, and was very supportive throughout my life. Hmm. I mean, that's really lucky that they had such a, uh, well, I don't know, such a goal oriented productive daughter because they could have said, set your goals on something and you could have run amok or they must have thought, had confidence that you were already on the right track when they let you off the reins. But you know, when I look back on my life, I think that uh, one of the things I would have liked to do was to have been more goal oriented when I was younger. 
Hmm. Uh, definitely that way, because for instance, I, I went back to university when I was an adult. That's it, I, I read that. When I had my children. And it occurred to me that had I thought about some of the things I was going to do earlier, I, I probably wouldn't have had to do that because I would have done it earlier in my life. Mm -hmm. Well, what were you doing as a child, though? I mean, there's no mistakes, right? So your childhood was filled with the things that you needed in order to do what you're doing today. So, but it just took you a while to get into university. What were you doing as a kid instead of setting goals? Well, I think just being adventurous. Yeah. Liking, liking broadcasting and finding a way of getting into that. And then liking different things, liking adventure, being willing to take challenges, take on mm -hmm. challenges, and also being able to, um, and willing to, to risk certain yeah. things and experiences. Yeah, tell me about risk, because I feel like, I mean, even just leaving Grenada to, to join the Miss World, we're gonna get into this, of course, but, but even leaving your home and leaving your parents, uh, that must have been a huge risk for you. Did you welcome risk with open, open arms? Yes. I think I did. It might have something to do with the fact that it was the last child. You ah. know, being the last in the family of five, I was at home longer and, and, you know, I probably had a bit more independence than some of the older ones. By the time I came along, my parents were probably tired. Right. And let, just let just go. Just get out of our way. Yes, let me do more of my own thing, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, so as you went on, were, who were some of the folks around you that were your, were your cheerleaders? You said your mom really said, set your mind to something and you can do anything. Was your father in that sort of campaign as well? No, no. My father was very disciplined. Mm. And perhaps that's where I get some of the discipline in my life. You know, his, his example. He was a prominent lawyer and he was very good at what he did, but he always prepared. And I think that's a thread that's gone throughout my life because mm. people who know me well know that I seldom do things without preparing. I mean, this interview today is not prepared because you said it would be a chat. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm taking you at your word. <laughs> but <laughs> most times, to be honest with you, Naomi, most times I like to get questions in advance. Yeah. And, um, but you very kindly said that, um, you know, this was to be talking about some things that I already felt comfortable talking about. So there we are, giving it yeah. a chance. Well, it's an interesting um, dichotomy. I feel like you and I had similar upbringing. My father was a professor of chemistry and my mother was an artist in many different facets. So having that kind of balance of like the discipline, but also the magic, I think is so, like obviously that has made you who you are today. Well, yeah, I think that um, also growing up in a community which um, was supportive, it was like a village, you know, yeah. when I can think about um, how different it was. We didn't have television until I was an adult. Mm. Um, and that's not that other people had television. Television just wasn't there. We had radio. I remember the first person that had a portable radio on my street. That was a big thing. So one of, the, one of the interesting things about looking back on my life is that I realized that I have lived through some really um, you know, interesting periods of life and, and things that we take for granted today were not even um, discussed then. 
I realized that I, I lived through the, um, through the 60s. And when I look now at, um, I was born in, in the 40s, 90, late, um, late 1947. When I look at the 60s and I, and I see movies now that feature the 60s and realize that so much happened, for instance, in the United States in the way, in the way of um, civil rights and, and human rights and women's rights. And, mm. and to think about 1970 as, as being preeminent at a time when the women's movement was, was uh, just coming into its own. Mm -hmm. is, is most interesting as I look back on my life. So certainly, um, I, going back to your question, I think the support of the village and the support of the community was, um, was tremendous. Mm -hmm. But um, I also think that we all have a path. When I look back on it now, I realize that I did so many different things than the people that I grew up with. So it shows me that we all have our own, our own specific path mm -hmm. and timing and opportunity and purpose and all these things, if we want to sit back and, and define them, mm -hmm. say very much about each, each one of us. Mm -hmm. And I think we all have our own, our own purpose. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I think my mother helped me to realize after I had won the Miss World Contest was that part of my purpose was to um, increase understanding about race relations mm -hmm. and it, throughout the world, wherever I traveled. Yeah. And one of the things that was fascinating is that when I won Miss World, um, I had not been preoccupied by the fact that I was a black person. Right. But the British media was so preoccupied with that, that fact that it made me realize the importance of having such a platform yeah. to speak about those issues. And a lot of previous Miss Worlds were approached by cosmetic companies. I was never approached by a cosmetic company, hmm. but I was approached by ethnic designers around the world. I wore clothes from African designers, not just in Africa, but throughout my travels. Um, I wore clothes designed by Maori people from New Zealand. Right. The Maori people greeted me when I arrived in New Zealand and gave me honorary citizenship hmm. and asked me to wear Maori clothes because they said, they could see themselves in me. Okay, yeah. And young girls in the Caribbean, it meant so much to them. So in terms of purpose, if I had not realized my purpose at that point, um, it certainly helped to shape those, those thoughts in my yeah. mind as yeah. to, you know, how to use the platform that the Miss World Win made, gave me Right. To, uh, to talk about uh, issues that were of importance, importance to, uh, to people, to people right. of color and, and to women generally. That's, I mean, did you know leading up to the competition that this was a moment to, to own your platform or did you discover it within the competition? 
I just oh my gosh, that must I have made your it. head spin. Yes. No, like no, usually if there's somebody that likes to plan ahead, you must have been like every day trying to like rehearse your platform a little bit. That must have been intense. Interesting, really, because I mean, meeting the Pearl Janssen, the representative from South Africa, the mm -hmm. black representative, and finding that although I knew what apartheid was, I had no idea that it had such a profound effect by excluding excluding people like Pearl. Yeah, from and the is that because you were in the in your in your village and you were sort of uh, sheltered from it all? Because you talk about living through various centuries of amazing uh, life altering events, but you were actually in it. Like you were part of the altering uh, of apartheid by them asking for uh, women of color to be part of the competition. You were part of the feminist movement because 1970, it all started when you won Miss World. Did you know you were part of it as you were moving through it? Well, one of the fortunate things about growing up in the Caribbean is that it's a multi-ethnic society. And you have people of white, yeah. uh, black, brown, um, you know, we have Chinese, Indian heritage people. Um, so growing up in the Caribbean gives one a, a terrific advantage mm -hmm. in, in ways like this, because I grew up with a sense of self. Mm -hmm. When I went to Miss World, it surprised me that my color was the story. What I thought would be the story when I won was that a representative from one of the smallest countries had won. Yes. yes. And an opportunity to, to promote the island, which is the main reason that I went there. So tell me though, you were going back to your hotel room every night while you were preparing for Miss World and, and preparing your speeches. Like how did you, how did you catch up to what was ahead of you within that Miss World competition? Well, my mother um, was a poet and she knew that at some point I'd have to talk about Grenada because I was being asked to mm -hmm. go to represent the island, which at the time was still British, but was just approaching the period when uh, they would get independence and so on. But tourism was an important industry throughout the Caribbean and it was becoming more so in Grenada. So just finding out where the island was, was a big thing and how to spell and how to pronounce it as you beautifully do. And so my mother wrote a poem for me to say when I went to Miss World. Wow. And of course there was an opportunity when we were all introduced and everybody was saying the same thing. And here I was with an opportunity to, to tell a poem, mm -hmm. to you know narrate a poem mm -hmm. about the island. So right from the beginning, it appeared that I was prepared right. um, and that I have to give total credit to my mother for. Mm -hmm. Did that weigh on you? In one of your interviews, you talked about um, stepping into your civic duty. Did that weigh on your shoulders, that pressure? Well, it didn't seem like pressure. It just seemed like um, competing. Mm. Um, when you're competing for anything, if it's the Olympics or if it's even an, a job, we can look at things like that. And you can see you want to, to put your best foot forward. 
You want to be as ready for that interview. You want to be as well presented as possible. You want to be knowledgeable about the subjects that are important. Yes. Yes, that's the preparation that you you like to do, that it was instilled in you. So, mm. and, and did you ever find yourself, I don't even know, I don't know how to put this, but I feel like we are always looking over our shoulders so much as we're growing up. I mean, how old were you when you were in that competition in your 20s, right? Yes, I was 22. So how did you manage to, to find that kind of self-confidence of going, I'm gonna wear what I wanna wear. I'm not gonna wear what she's gonna wear. I'm gonna do what I wanna do because I believe in it. How did you muster up that kind of confidence moving forward? Well, you know, as I always say, confidence is not something you're born with. It's something you develop through your life. Right. And yes. my experience is that in order to get confidence, you have to challenge yourself. And I probably was a very shy kid while I was growing up. Really? In fact, I know, I know that I must have been relatively shy, right. but I, I didn't shy away from taking, you know, to taking on challenges. Yeah. So um, I remember knowing that my sister would be a terrific person to travel with because she had great ideas about style and, and she was good at putting makeup on and all that sort of thing. But remember when I went into Miss World, I was a trained broadcaster. Right. I had worked with the BBC. I was, I had worked locally in radio and I was a flight attendant. So at that point, I was used to meeting people. You know, I didn't right. shy away from any of those things by that time. Right. And um, I still thought that it was important to have the best dress and the best costume. We even had to design a costume because there wasn't something like that in Grenada. Mm -hmm. So we came up with, uh, they came up with a, a really terrific picture um, that had one had been painted by a local artist of a nutmeg princess because Grenada is the Isle of Spice and nutmeg is one of the main crops on oh, the island. I, I didn't and, know that. Oh yes, nutmeg and cinnamon and all these Love things. Love that. Mm. And when you arrive on the island, you actually smell them. You really? smell these spices, yeah. Oh, wow. So they uh, dressed me and designed a costume um, called the Nutmeg Princess. Amazing. And, and that was um, in the movie, if you saw the movie. Yes, I did, yeah. Um, somebody thought it was a tree or something right. in the movie. Remember that? Yeah, but, but um, I mean, you talked about like having confidence because you've been challenged. Were there any challenges along the way that you went, oh, that was tough, but I sure, I sure learned a good lesson there with and the last few days of the contest it was actually the last rehearsal some of us had never had the chance of going on the stage the actual stage i mean i'm nervous thinking about it for you that makes me just like a, to find composure and grace within that kind of nerves okay go on though so nobody had been no. on the stage well no the thing is that there were 58 girls right. in that contest and every time they did the rehearsal they would choose say 20 or 15 to go up on stage and do what had to be done and to rehearse. And it occurred to me the final night that I, had the, I hadn't done it. I, hadn't, I had been on stage, but I hadn't had the chance of, of doing it 
you know, going all through the, the process. Mm -hmm. And so we expected on the final night to all be given a chance. And we discovered that we weren't. Mm -hmm. They chose once again the, the favorite 15 to go on stage. Right. And that happened to be Miss Sweden and Miss Norway and Miss England and all of those. And the rest of us sat in the audience and watched this final rehearsal. And I remember sitting there to my sister and um, I almost had tears in my eyes. Yeah. And, and she said, you know, Jen, don't worry. Um, she said, it's not even good luck for those girls to be wearing the crown. You know, they're wearing the crown or practicing with the crown. And they say that when you do have a chance to do that, if you did before, it's like wearing a wedding dress yep. before you actually wear it, it's bad luck. Right. And I was hoping that she'd be right. And I went back to the hotel and um, that night the organizers asked us if uh, any of us didn't feel comfortable or wanted to have a final rehearsal on the day of the show. And I immediately put my hand up and about five other girls put their hands up, everybody else. They all wanted to get their hair done and makeup done that day, the final night, final day. But instead we, the five of us went off by coach to the Royal Albert Hall for rehearsal. And um, I would say the other, well, I think there were six of us. The, after about half an hour of walking on the stage, the other five went back to the hotel. And I was the only one that stayed at the Albert Hall for another hour and a half. Oh my gosh. <laughs> wow. And I walked and I walked on that stage up and down and imagined that I was Miss World already, put myself in character. And I remember one of the dancers coming to me, Lionel Blair, and saying, that's right, Miss Grenada, practice makes perfect. Mm. And apparently one of his uh, troop went out and took a, make, made a bet on me to win. And in those days, the British, and I think they probably still do, bet on the winners. Really? Yes, just, just like, like they would bet on anything else. Uh, yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't actually believe that, but um, that did occur. And, um, and so that evening, I had great confidence. I mm -hmm. remember being, uh, I describe it in my book, going to the contest. My sister commented on what she thought was my confidence. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, I do feel confident. You know, if I don't feel confident now, I never will. Mm -hmm. Because I've done the preparation. I walked on that stage. I felt the stage was my friend. I knew how many steps I could walk it almost without looking down, you know, mm -hmm. which, which all was a great help to me. I have to say that night. Yeah. I mean, it must have been for somebody, as you said, like you're coming from a, with a background of uh, being a radio broadcaster. You are a stewardess, like you have a career at the age of 23. How did you, how did you wrangle that 
uh, with you know the comments that people were saying about the Miss World were saying that it was an affront to women. So it must have been like a really must have split your mind when you find yourself walking around in a bathing suit. And I know there was a portion of it that the contestants all had to turn around and just expose their backside. And then part of you must have been thinking, I'm a radio broadcaster. I need to go back to my radio broadcasting life. How did you balance that in your brain? Well, I have to say, people ask me all the time, how did I feel when we had to do that? Yes. And it was the strangest feeling. And the director, I must say, I love the movie because it was so thoughtfully written and directed and, yes. and produced. Um, misbehavior shows the different perspectives of feminism. It really does. Um, it, shows, um, it shows it from an age perspective, from the perspective of the, fem of the feminist movement and the perspective of the contestants. Yeah. What it meant to Miss Africa South to be given the opportunity to be represented, mm -hmm. to be there and to have a platform. Mm -hmm. Never mind, of course, the fact that she had to return to South Africa right. to that system of apartheid where she was not allowed to speak for the next 25 years. Yeah. So went back into almost oblivion. I had the opportunity to travel, as I say, um, also to use that platform to talk about the things that I was suddenly realizing were mm -hmm. really important, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know. And um, as I say, the, the Maori people in New Zealand and the, um, the children in the Caribbean, the little girls that came up to me and said how much it, it meant to them that a person of color they could finally see in a position where they, you could talk. I mean, mm -hmm. it's not, and I say that today women have so many more opportunities than we had in 1970. Yeah. Well, so thanks to people like you. Like, that's just it. You changed the world with your kind of uh, recognition of the importance of a platform. I mean, I have to say that there's times when I see people step up to a platform, whether it's to receive an award or whether it's to give a toast. And I think we so rarely get a platform. You, you better use it. And I read somewhere that you, you said you had a scientific approach to the whole competition. So how did you balance that with knowing you also had to not only think inwardly, you had to think outwardly and your lipstick had to be done, your hair, hair and makeup had to be perfect. How, I, I, I find that, I mean, as an actor, I find that one of the ch most challenging things in the world because we speak from our heart. And my mom was always trying to make me wear a spot of lipstick to make sure that I was well presented on the outside as well as inside. What was that like for you? Well, I'm, I'm going to digress okay. from the question. Just a slight bit. I'm going to come back to it. to it. Because um, my daughter, Sophia, yes. often says to me, Mom, you remember you used to tell me when I was a teenager, put a little lipstick on. That's my mom. <laughs> my mom would kiss me on the lips, not because she was like giving me affection, but because she was putting hum some of her lipstick on my lips. And she had lipstick next to her bedside that it would go on right away because she was, you know, she was British as well. So she knew what it was to present yourself. And um, I, I don't know if I, I don't think I've got that balanced. I think I, I put my hair in a ponytail and I get to work. Well, the thing is this, you don't have to do this. I mean, and I always recognize that I said that to her usually when she was dressed up to go out somewhere. 
right. I wouldn't right. have expected her to put on lipstick when she was going, going, you know, just to exercise or something right. like that. Right. But we have a little laugh about it. But um, going back to your, um, you were saying, what I, what I thought was that I felt I had the advantage in terms of speaking Mm-hmm. Because I was a trained broadcaster, of course, and yeah. I enjoyed being on radio. I enjoyed talking, um, but you know, not necessarily seeing myself. So this was a challenge, you know, not to be thinking about myself all the time, right? And yet, and yet, coming across intelligently, being able to talk about things such as the women's movement, for instance. Yeah. So that was a question that came to me. And I knew it would, I knew it would, but I didn't realize that the British, that the women's movement had actually targeted the Miss World contest as a platform to get their messages across. Right. Uh, we didn't realize that. And so they kept saying, oh yes, we're not targeting you. We're targeting the organizers. But at no point in time did they reach out to us to explain right. to us what they were trying to do. Right. So we were not sure how to take it. Were they attacking us, the organizers? You know, we knew that as women, they should be supporting women's rights. Right. And they must have um, felt that you were against them a little bit. Well, they felt that uh, beauty contests served to objectify women. And I would say that the women's movement were very instrumental in changing many of these stereotypical ways of presenting women in beauty contests. Mm-hmm. For instance, I know the women's um, the swimsuit component is no longer. Yeah. Some of the contests don't even have a swimsuit section. Right. But also, why are there still contests? Like, well, that's a good question. It's a good question. You know, like, no, seriously, it's a good wait, question. We don't have non-binary um, person of the year of the world. We don't have man of the universe. Why are we still putting women on this place where we're, we're, we're looked to, to be that kind of representation? Well, you know, interestingly, Naomi, um, there is a Mr. Universe contest. Do they have I to mean, turn around and show their butt? Well, look, um, I, I have looked at a couple of them in the past, many years ago. I mean, um, what's his name? Arnold Schwarzenegger was, right. one, of the, was one of the well, most well-known Mr. Universes. Right, yes, of course, yeah. Um, and those are bodybuilding um, types. But coming right back to your point is that mm-hmm. we don't have to have beauty contests, no. Yeah. I mean, the question is, are they relevant or they're not relevant? And um, I prefer to focus on choice. Mm-hmm. I really do. Mm-hmm. Because what is feminism mm-hmm. if it's not about choice? Yes. And the choice that we have today, the choices that we have today, are many, many more than we had in 1970. Absolutely. Women can be scientists, they can be engineers, they can be doctors, lawyers. Um, whatever and great do that whatever it is you want to do do it but do Mm -hmm. not don't believe that you should be minimizing the choices for women simply because you don't like the fact that a woman chooses one one way or another and I think as we see the different um, ways in which 
many of these contests have evolved. We see that more women of color and more women um, of, of different um, ways of, of presenting themselves have taken advantage of this. And I think last year there was a Miss World, Miss Universe, Miss America, Miss Teen America. They were all women of color. That's right, and, yes. And, and people were saying to me, um, how great is that? And I said, well, you know, what, what of it? I mean, the time when we stop commenting on these things yeah. is when we really will have reached somewhere. That's right. That's, I so appreciate that. It's like saying that somebody's like a great female director. Why can't they just be a great director? I don't think we have to put those into pockets. I agree with you. That's right. I mean, did you expect this? Is this the life that you expected when you were living in Grenada before you made this, this life-changing event? Well, you know, I've, um, no, not particularly. But I've gone on to, you know, the reason I wrote my book mm -hmm. is because the movie tells the women's, the story from the feminist point of view. I know. I think they could um, have had like three more hours just on you, Jennifer. I honestly, <laughs> I, I watched the movie and I was like, okay, that's one perspective. But I just want a whole, it was a mini series and I want a two hours just on Jennifer because your journey was so exciting. Well, it's interesting you say that and thank you. Um, but I felt it was important to, to write the book and to tell my story in my words, mm -hmm. um, the Miss World story, because it is not as uncomplicated as might appear. The other thing is it also shows that I won Miss World, but I don't define myself only mm -hmm. as having won Miss World. It just happens that that has come up quite a lot recently because of the movie and, right. because of, and, and my book. Yeah. But um, I went on to do so many other things. You well, know? you went on to become a diplomat. So that's that like wild, I don't even know, like a wild whiplash of going from, you know, doing a world tour. How many times have you traveled around the world as Miss World? And then going back and be like, okay, now I'm going to go cerebrally and become a diplomat. But you know, um, this world was quite a tiring year for me. I bet, yeah. It was because um, coming back to the point you made earlier about um, having to straddle the fact that uh, you want to be appear to be intelligent as well as you have to always be thinking of how you look. I remember sitting in a plane, I was in first class, and someone sitting there to me said to me, leaned over and said, how do I tell Miss World that her false eyelash is coming off? <laughs> <laughs> and what did you do? Well, I quickly went into the washroom and fixed it. But it was tiring. You know, I really didn't, I didn't really want to think about those things, quite honestly. I'm, I'm a very down-to-earth person, Naomi, basically, very down-to-earth. And I think that's been quite important for me throughout my life. If if I want to talk about, about what has guided me, I think it's being myself, having a purpose in life that's beyond myself. Mm, mm -hmm. You know, I've always wanted to do something uh, that was a little bit bigger than myself and to set, set realistic but higher goals for myself and to main, maintain a certain standard mm -hmm. for myself. 
and when have you felt that you were on track with uh, your purpose? Like you must have, when you stepped into the competition, we're talking so much about this competition. I know you've written books and you, you have so much more to talk about, but where was the time that you were like, oh no, I found my purpose? Because I think it happens more than just once in a lifetime, of course. Well, it did, it did mm -hmm. certainly for me. Um, I became a diplomat shortly after that. And uh, that occurred again, timing at a time when Grenada went through a revolution right. and an invasion. Right. Um, when the United States and Caribbean countries invaded the island or to rescue the island as the case may be, mm -hmm. whichever position you take. Right. And then after that, um, I went, well, I went back to school, I went to university and then I joined the government of Canada. And, um, Having been a diplomat for Grenada, I then became a diplomat for Canada. Yeah, I, why I, not? You have extra time. Just get, just do that in your sleep. Incredible. So I, I served in Bangladesh, which is one of the poorest countries. And um, that was a fantastic experience when I realized that even though Bangladesh had a, a, sea, a, a woman as leader, and another woman as the opposition leader, they were still struggling mm -hmm. for women it, through having women's rights. Right. Bangladesh, it was an incredible eye-opener for me. Uh, Pakistan was the same thing. Mm -hmm. uh, Benazir Bhutto was the prime minister. Um, and she, while there was great um, optimism and um, expectation about her leadership, ended up um, being very disappointing for a bunch mm. of reasons, you know? Once again, men were pulling the strings. Right. And um, it, interesting. So that um, was those sets of experiences and, and coming uh, also a finding that uh, in my own backyard in the Caribbean, I faced um, sexism mm -hmm. as well in my work. I worked as a as a consultant down there, and um, and found that the old boys club still was healthy, and um, and it was difficult for women to infiltrate it. Yeah, and so I've had the experience um, in all different stages of my life. But to answer your question about where did I find greatest purpose? Strange to say, but I think in the last, this last profession as a counselor, as a psychotherapist, mm -hmm. is where I found that I fitted most, most um, easily. Yeah. It's interesting because, um, well, I'll share a little story with you. Thank you. I had a client once. Um, and in the course of discussion, it turned out that she had originally come from a country that I had visited. And so she persisted. She thought that was very interesting. So culturally, I was able to connect with clients. Mm -hmm. She found it was interesting and she persisted to ask me if I had kept in touch with anyone in that country. And I said, yes, and because I'm not really supposed to mention names, you know, as a, as a psychotherapist, it's a very confidential discussion. 
that we have, and therefore mm -hmm. the country and all that is unimportant. Mm -hmm. in, in that discussion, she said, well, tell me who you kept in touch with. She persisted and I gave, <laughs> the, and I gave her the name and she said, her, her mouth dropped. And she said to me, that is my mother. No. And then she said to me, wow. now I know that God sent you to me. Well, this was the most incredible experience um, from someone that I never imagined would, um, would know another person in another part of the world. And this was my experience right here mm -hmm. in Canada. So the um, point is, I, I also feel we don't just chance on professions. I think that if we, um, if we are attuned spiritually, mm -hmm. I don't always talk about my spirituality and so forth, but it is an important part of me. Mm -hmm. um, my faith in myself and my faith in, in, in my belief system is all impo important and, and part of um, the direction that I get. I think that being a psychotherapist has been quite an eye-opener for me. I um, stopped my working as a psychotherapist last year because I just ran out of time to do it properly. Yeah. And so um, I decided it was time to retire after 10 years. But um, it is something that I felt I fell into and it was most natural for me because I'm a good listener. Mm -hmm. uh, my experiences have enabled me to connect with different cultures. Yes. And my life experiences have also enabled me to um, understand the challenges. I've been challenged myself personally, and I've reinvented myself many, many times. I have been unsuccessful in different ways, personally, mm -hmm. um, as I share in my book. Yes. But I have always felt that there is a chance to reinvent yourself. And I believe it's up to us to do that with, with, with relative um, confidence. You know, no one success or any one failure defines us. I love that so much. I, I, you have a quote that I read that said, it's not about what happens to you, it's about how you overcome it. For sure. Do you remember I, what inspired that quote? Well, um, <laughs> I've, I've had unsuccessful marriages. I mean, who hasn't? <laughs> <laughs> I've, um, I've been unsuccessful in, in a couple of, um, of my life exploits. Right. But I mean, I, I talk about them quite openly in my book. And really, I honestly feel that we all have a path to follow. And mm -hmm. we each have our own experiences. And sometimes we get off that path. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's up to us, you know, to pull ourselves up and and how do we do that? That's yeah, the challenge. That's the one. How do we do that? <laughs> because so you're talking about purpose and you're talking about getting on the path. But I think that there's so many people that must be listening to this going, well, great. I've also had challenges, but how do I get back on track? Do you have any advice in that aspect? Yeah. Well, I think, I think that first of all, we have to reach out. Yes. We have to reach out. 
and we have to see ourselves doing something else. So first of all, we have to believe in ourselves. We have to feel that we deserve something better. Yes. Agreed. We really, we really do. Yeah. It's self-value. It's self-worth, right? We have to know that we are somebody and something, and we have something to offer. And if we keep looking back, we don't do that. Right. If we are able to say, well, that's a chapter that I am now finished. Mm -hmm. uh, how, what can I learn from it? That's important too. We have to learn. Yes. We have to try to learn and not to find ourselves in a similar situation again. But that comes from the support system as well. Mm -hmm. And we, we can always find a support system. One of the best things is to do something. Um, volunteering. Agreed, yes, I love that. The volunteering. Um, I remember before I went, went into um, to psychotherapy, I volunteered. I volunteered at a hospital um, and worked with, with um, patients that had um, um, uh, some mental illnesses and so on. And, um, and really, I uh, could, help, could help them. I remember bringing a little dog that I had in uh, with me and playing mo movies for them, old yeah. movies and so on. And, all of these things I did before I went into the field of psychotherapy to just see, you know, whether these were strengths that, um, and whether these experiences were really what I was looking for. Yeah. And, and I've, I think that it's important to join a, um, a shelter and, yeah. and volunteer. Um, I volunteer at the hospital when it's not COVID time. So yeah. the yeah. hospital in Oakville. Um, I do that uh, one day a week, um, and I'm actually working now with my grandsons. I'm doing some remedial reading twice yeah. a week with them. So how do you find um, that? Oh well, I think it's helping them. Yeah. But you know one thing that this is the other thing. We think we're doing something to help people, but it actually comes it's back so to us. I know. It's the sneakiest thing in the world, isn't it? I know, yeah. but it, it does. I was just talking to one of my friends, Vicky, about how like if you're if you reach out with kindness, it gets you out of your own like wallowing. Absolutely. And truthfully, like if you look back to your life, do you have any any regrets over the challenges that you had to face? I don't think so. I don't think so. I I I think that. Um, right now, I'm missing seeing my son and his family because he lives in up, up at Whistler. Mm -hmm. And I wanted so badly to go to see them this summer, but I know I can't. We have to live with COVID. And, and that's the other thing, you know, um, to be grateful mm -hmm. for what we have. And we all have so much, so much that we take for granted on Those a daily basis. Such beautiful, like I love the concrete action items that you just gave like I think it's so beautiful to talk about like you know your journey and what you've been speaking about like the practice I know you you practice yoga and you've probably been doing that for your entire life haven't you yes well I've gone into Pilates now so um, I do Pilates and that that is great because it helps to stretch you know as you get older 
I mean, I, look at me. I'm like a troll. I'm talking to you like I'm like a little. <laughs> I was, as soon as you said Pilates, I'm like, sit up, sneakers. Well, Naomi, I had a knee replacement some years ago. And um, and it's been successful, thank God. But I'm very flexible. Yeah. But I need to stretch. We all need to stretch. And as we get older, and I, I as I mentioned to you, I do have a bad back. Yes. So that I'm conscious of. Do what you have to do. But one so, day, one day at a time, eh? I, I totally agree. I, out of all the roles that you you have, you're a mother and grandmother and a diplomat, author, model, uh, entertainer. What's the role that you're most proud of? I'm I'm sure you want to say mother and grandmother, but what's the other roles that you're most proud of? Wow, that's a difficult one because I certainly was going to say my. my <laughs> I my knew family. you were going to say that, so I thought my I'd just family. let you know. <laughs> of yes, course, well, you I'm see, so I see it. I see like the joy, even like when you say my son, your eyes light up. And I know that you just came back from looking after your daughter that I'm sure was more of all, again, like probably something that you benefited just from as, as much as her. Is there any of the roles that you've served in your lifetime that you're, you, you are so grateful for in your world? Well, I think I, I'm going to go back to the psychotherapy. Yeah. Because I, I have worked with a couple of clients that, you know, I really felt I was able to help. Yeah. And when I look back on it, I, I know that um, I know that I was able to help them at a critical time in their lives. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, that helps me feel that some of my purposes or my purpose has been fulfilled, you know, in that way. Um, I, I'm also very proud of the movie Misbehavior because you know, to think that by entering a, a pageant, um, my story and the story of others becomes part of history. Incredible. In my lifetime. Yes. In yes. my lifetime. And that you're I, still present to celebrate it and to watch the changes that you put in motion. Well, um, as I said before, I think it, it, um, it's historical. It's entertaining and it's, it's realistic, you know, and I also look back at the interview that was uh, the start of this whole thing. Okay. I was invited by the BBC to come to London, England 10 years ago, and they, the program was called The Reunion, and it had Sally Alexander the women's movement, the, the, the wow. three main catalysts of that movement were on the program with me, wow. as well as Michael Aspel um, of the BBC and Peter Jolly from Mecca, the Miss World Organization. And we all told our respective stories on radio and the producers of the movie heard the interview and said, we want to make that into a movie. Yes. And it was like three or four days later, I came back to Canada and I received a call from Suzanne Ma Susan Mackey um, of Left Bank Pictures asking me if they could portray me in, in a movie that they were going, they're going to write the script and we got 
into a, you know, we, we did the contract thing. And 10 years. Wow. It, 10 years for the movie to be developed, for the script to be written, for the funding to be put in place. And then in 2018, I was visiting my brother in Paris, France. I got a call asking me where I was and I was in France and they said, well, come over to London. We'd, we'd like you to meet the cast. We'd like you to meet the producers that we're going to make the movie now. So I, I took the channel, the train from Paris to mm -hmm. London and met with everybody. And, um, and then they showed me the picture of the gal who was going to play me. Mm -hmm. I recognized her right away because I had just seen the movie Belle. Okay. In which she had been uh, Belle and the star, a fantastic movie. Mm -hmm. And another coincidence, I had been watching that movie with a friend. And this friend said to me, knowing that they were still working on a, on a movie, you know, with me in mind as, as playing one of the parts. That person said, you know, she could play you. No, that's amazing. And that was said to me in Canada before I went to London and I told them. Wow. And the, the lady in charge of casting said, oh my gosh, that gives me goosebumps. Yeah. And then a couple of weeks later, I heard from Gugu, who had been yeah. given my email address and so on. And she said, could we meet in Grenada? And I had just sold my property down there, so I hadn't planned to go back. But Sophia said to me, mom, I'll come with you. Yeah. So she came and Gugu brought her mother. Wow. And we spent, we spent almost a week in Grenada getting wow. to know each other. She recorded my voice and we talked about what it was like at the Miss World and, you know, how I felt at the time. And her research was so thorough mm -hmm. that when I heard her and I saw her, I was invited again back to London to see them filming her before, the, before it was all put together. Incredible. And when I saw her on stage, it brought tears to my eyes. Yeah. I thought, my gosh, you know, the only person that could play me better would be me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. And that moment at the end, I'm not giving anything away, but there's a moment at the end where you see Gugu and then you see you. And it's this, it made me cry. It made me cry seeing that uh, representation of the different people and where they are now and how there's still this force and what an incredible journey just when you thought you were retiring Jennifer and then you've stepped into the Hollywood <laughs> limelight well it's it's been quite an um quite an experience I have to say wow and it and it shows me and I and this is the point that I think uh, one of the many things in my book talk about is the fact that opportunities present themselves to us in all different shapes and mm -hmm. forms throughout our life. And um, if we can take some kind of a calculated risk, it does require that. When I say calculated, I mean, looking at the pros and cons of doing everything. Sure, you have to do that. But look at where that experience um, took me and, yeah. and in a sense it um, as I said before 
It helped to shape me, but it doesn't define me because I see myself, um, I see that as just one of the experiences that I have had throughout my life. Um, there are so many that are memorable and, and so rewarding, like having a family. Yeah. And looking yeah. now at my grandchildren and so on. And, and like, there's more to come. Well, uh, <laughs> sure, sure there is, because I, I'm always open. Yeah. I'm open to it. And, and coming right back to, to this whole point about, about what our purpose is and so on, you know, Naomi, I think timing is so, so crucial. Mm -hmm. I mean, had I not, I mean, there have been all sorts of girls and uh, women that went into Miss World, but the timing of it, 1970, oh you know, timing, timing and purpose together. And, and being prepared, like you didn't go into it without your eyes open and at least you had your mom's poem in your back pocket as far as preparation goes. So timing, yes, opportunity, yes, but then preparation has to be in there somewhere. And I thought the comparative advantage that you, you, have, you referred to that I have spoken about is that um, I saw um, the interview portion of the Miss World contest as important for me. Mm -hmm. The opportunity to excel in some way in the short interview that they gave us on stage because I had had that experience mm -hmm. and, and wanting to be spontaneous and wanting to, you know, to be um, up to it, up to that challenge, yeah. particularly. And I think maybe um, as the years have gone by, I've, I've thought, you know, I may not have thought it then, but the women's movement may in fact have made, made my win more because of the fact that they were saying that it was only because of looks that women were winning these, were winning contests. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that they were looking more for personality. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's so interesting. That particular year. I, I've come over the years to think that. Yeah. Um, though I do think that they, they were looking for a package deal, you know, they were looking for, for presentation and, and all the things. And, um, and of course, there's luck. There's yeah. luck and chance and all these things to be well. here taken into account. I don't know about luck with you, Jennifer. I think that you're a pretty, pretty great package deal. <laughs> yeah, you're kind. Yeah. I, I, I don't want to, I, I'm going to wrap it up because I also want to be sensitive to your back. And I think after an hour, your back must be starting to like, thank you. Well, a little thank bit. You. I'm going to have a, I have a couple of wrap up questions before we say goodbye. Yes. And I ask yeah. these of all my guests. Yeah. My first question is fill in the blank. What to me, a firecracker is Wow, a firecracker is someone who is able to meet the challenge, a challenge, with spontaneity and yet courage. And courage, courage to come forward and speak your mind in the face of adversity and when, when there is a need to speak up. A lot of people don't speak up when they see something that's not right or that they hear something that is jarring. Mm -hmm. If we have an opportunity to do the right thing. So anyone that I feel has done that, 
would be, for me, a firecracker. I love it. I love it. What do you want to be best known for? Well, well, for somebody who is willing to take, take on a challenge, to take advantage of an opportunity, and to still be myself. Mm -hmm. So myself at all times, you know, and always able to see something optimistically. Mm -hmm. what, what is something that you haven't done yet that you know you have to do? Well, there are a, couple, a few countries that I'd like to visit. I, I have on my bucket list a few places I would like to go to and I'd like to revisit. I have, I have very good friends. I have good friends in Israel. I have, um, I have good friends in uh, Italy. Um, I would like to, you know, to visit a few places again. And, you know, don't um, you miss traveling right now? Well, this is it, you know, the other thing is that I, I, when I do travel, I want to be able to travel in comfort because I went to New Zealand two years ago and that was a long haul. Yeah. But that was a, a trip that I had planned for quite a while. And that made, that was the fourth time I had been to New Zealand. Wow. Far away. Not everybody that, can say that. It's a wonderful country, great friends. And that's the other thing, you know, that I've made friends and ma maintained my friendships mm -hmm. throughout the years that, have, that I've traveled. So good friends, mm -hmm. good friends are hard not, mm -hmm. to, not to have. My final two questions is, what was your favorite mistake that you've made and what did you learn from it? I have auditioned for something that I wasn't prepared for. Okay. That was a mistake. I remember years ago, I walked into a television station for something else. They said to me, oh, you are just the person we wanted. Could you please just sit and have this interview? And I did without thinking about it and um, re realized afterwards it was an audition. And I hadn't, I hadn't realized what it was. I was in there for something else. And I thought, what a mistake that was. Once again, it was doing something that I wasn't prepared for. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you which, like being prepared. Which I, I like to, um, yeah. to say that that's not typical of me. Yeah. I always love these conversations because I feel like I get to shine a light <laughs> on you and what you've done. Is there somebody else in your world, another firecracker that we can also shine a well, light on? Well, I would like to take advantage of this to shine a light on the post-nursing team surgical ward mm -hmm. where my daughter had recent uh, yes. back surgery she told, yes um it's actually yes just outside of newmarket my daughter told me that she was talking with a nurse who had postponed her wedding twice mm -hmm. because of covid wow. and you know it struck me that a lot of people especially people on the front line are making a lot of sacrifices today for the yeah. for the better good and so i would like to say thank you to the particular nurse and to those nurses in that ward at the markham stoville hospital i love it i think they can be found online yeah and the other person that i would like to remember today mm -hmm. is you naomi <laughs> today is your birthday isn't it <laughs> That's so sweet of you. Well, I found out that this is your birthday by accident. 
And um, I said to myself, wow, uh, she's actually agreed to do this interview today and it is her birthday. So I'm not going to let this day go by without wishing you everything good. That's so kind of you. And hoping that this will be a special one in spite of COVID and that you will enjoy many, many more. Oh, that really, that made my day. I don't need cake. I got a, I got a birthday wish from Jennifer Austin. Yeah. Thank you. That's just lovely. I, I, I usually wrap my final question up with advice you would have given to your younger self, a younger Jennifer Austin. What would you have said to your younger self? Well, knowing that I enjoyed being an academic so much, I mean, I loved university. I think I excelled in university. You know, my, my grade point average was nothing. I mean, great, it was great. Yeah. And I wish I had done that in school. Yeah, but um, well, you went back as an adult, so you were ready for it. I don't think we're always ready mm -hmm. for university when we start. That's right. That's yeah. right. But I, I realized that I could have just done almost anything. Yeah. Had I had I um, set off earlier, had I known that this really these things were open possible. But um, as I say, opportunities in 1970 were not quite the same as they are today. Mm -hmm. So I encourage people, you know, to look for the opportunities. There are so many and, uh, you know, wide open for women. I think the sky is the limit. Don't, yes. and don't limit yourself. Don't set off by saying, well, I don't, I'm not good at math, so I won't be good at that. There's always an opportunity, if that's the case, to work on math so that you can get to be to, to a level where you can be good enough to do the next best thing that you can be or, or do. Oh my gosh, I'm such a fan of yours, Jennifer. I, I have to also tell you every once in a while, your head tilts just in the perfect way for that mirror to be your crown. And you look so regal and beautiful. I, uh, I'm so grateful for your time and for your thoughts and for your heart in this discussion. And I'm, I'm so grateful for all that you've done for us in the world, the, the, the women and the, the movement that you've uh, been part of. We're just so lucky to have you in this community. Well, that's so sweet of you, Naomi. But I want to tell you that it's been a pleasure talking with you. This hour has gone by so fast. <laughs> It really has. I'm Thank so you. Happy. Well, Thank I was you. conscious of your back and I was like, oh, we got to wrap it up, Sneakers. But I'm so, I, I could talk to you forever. I, your voice is so beautiful and it's filled with so much of your, your heart, every thought that you speak. So it's really extraordinary. Naomi, did you know that my book is also uh, available on Audible? I have been listening to your book, Jennifer. That's exactly why I've been like, I've been, um, I don't know, like, it's almost like your voice cradles people when you speak. It's really a lovely storytelling capacity. It's really gorgeous. Well, I think you also must have enjoyed the, um, the preface by Gugu. Gugu I skipped over it. Role. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Of course <laughs> I did. Of course. Yes. It was, what a beautiful combination. No, you're, well, it's extraordinary. She is super. She's a super young actress that I expect is going to be uh, at the top of of her trade yeah and she really captured your poise and your grace and your thoughtfulness i thought in her performance and i think she's exemplary mm -hmm. 
I mean, I just want, I, I have to find a way of seeing if she'll adopt me. Not like, you know, like a child and a dependent, but just as a family member, because she's just so warm. She really is, and she just has such heart. Like the way she wished me a happy birthday, doesn't that just make your heart just burst? I mean, I just want to hear more of her wisdom because she has so, so much and she's genuinely enthusiastic and purposeful in everything that she has done in her life from being a radio journalist to Miss World to being a diplomat to being a psychotherapist. This is the thing that struck me is that she's got so many arcs in her life and it feels like Jennifer has really taken everything she's ever encountered and grown from it. And I mean, gosh, I can only wish that kind of energy on myself and everyone else. What an inspiration. Admirable and it's incredible and I just adore her. I just adore her. You can follow Jennifer on Instagram at MissWorld1970 and the Misbehavior film is on Instagram or Twitter at Misbehavior UK. You can find Jennifer's book, Miss World 1970, How I Entered a Pageant and Wound Up Making History, anywhere books are sold. And Misbehavior will be available to stream on Crave in April 2021. As I said, I saw the film. Loved it. Just want a little bit more of Jennifer Hostin's story. So filmmakers out there, take that story, blow it up. It's so good. And here's the thing. If you get Jennifer's book on Audible, she reads it. So you can hear that beautiful Jennifer Hostin voice reading to you. It's so, so comforting. Now, I know this episode had some absolute gems of advice and ideas for creatives and basically just any human being at all. So I would love, 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 love if you could tell me what stuck with you. Which point in the interview made you sit up straighter and like really think? Was it how she said my name? Because that melted me just into a puddle of love. We are just such huge fans of Jennifer's over here at Firecracker Department and this episode was easily an instant classic in our minds. What a thrill. I love that I get to share this conversation with you. And thank you so much for putting us in your ear holes and having a listen. All right. We'll see you next time. Winnie Wong is our Firecracker head producer. Follow her at wonder underscore Wong on Instagram and wonder underscore Wong 8 on Twitter. Sydney Nielsen is our co-producer and head editor. You can follow them at Sydney underscore Nielsen. Sydney, like Australia. Nielsen, like milk. You can follow me on social media at my last name at Sneekus, S-N-I-E-C-K-U-S. The rest of the team comes at you from Toronto, Los Angeles, Austin, London, Dubai, and truly from all over the world. And we are so excited and feel so lucky to have two amazing, incredible firecracker interns for the winter of 2021. Fran Caviello and Saba Dolati. And I have to say, these are firecracker humans to their core, and we're so lucky to have them with us. Get into the full Firecracker Department core team at firecrackerdepartment.com slash about because we're always updating and we're always growing. Stay tuned to our newsletter for advanced updates on our monthly meditations, upcoming mentorship workshops, live script department readings, festival partnerships, weekly writing workouts, and dates for 2021, and so much more. There's lots going on in Firecracker Department. Don't forget, we also have a weekly brunch on Zoom every Sunday and our live Firecracker follow-ups return this month. So stay tuned to our socials for who and when. Now, whether you're a first time or a long time listener to the Firecracker Department, we always, always want to hear from you. We love hearing what quotes, the specifics, the nuances of things that stuck with you from each of the episode. We mean it. We really do. And we respond to every single thing that comes our way. If it gives your brain goosebumps or it piques your curiosity or makes you want to stop and write something down, send it back to us or our firecracker guest or both. I mean, everybody likes to know 
that when they put something out into the world that it resonates. And if it sparks something in you, use that creativity to take some creative action. Let us know. Share it because it just reverberates, you know? If you see somebody being creative, that might spark somebody else's creativity. So pay it forward. Thanks also to Jeff Malutinovic and Igor Korea for our theme music. And thanks to you. Yeah, you. Sitting there, driving there, walking there, working out there, and taking time to listen. We know there's a lot of options out there and we really appreciate you choosing us. We hope to see you at the Firecracker online community. Maybe brunch, maybe the writing workshop. Come on and share some time with us. And until next time, thank you for listening to the Firecracker Department. We'll see you next time.